Boston. It is really worthy of our attention during these days when we are talking not just about uh, democracy being uh, at best challenged, maybe that's a soft way to put it, but also on the rise of uh, fascism in so many different ways that we're exhibiting, not just in this country, but around the world. It is definitely a uh, time to look back not so long ago and not so far away, which is exactly the name of this exhibition, Auschwitz, not long ago, not far away. It's a chilling title for an exhibition, but it's an important and necessary one. We are lucky to have the executive producer of that exhibition, Luis Ferriero. He's the director of uh, Musealia, and they have put together, well, this these curators from all around the world who are known as international authorities on the history of Auschwitz and the Holocaust to come up with an exhibit that I think all of us should see. Thank you so much for joining us, Luis. Thank you so much for hosting me. It's a real pleasure. So could you tell us about Auschwitz not long ago, not far away? How did it happen? Why did it happen? Well, actually, the uh, Musealia, we are a Spanish company, we create exhibitions. And the reason why we had the idea of, of creating an exhibition about Auschwitz was, um, well, because we were a family company, so it was my parents, my brother and I. And in 2007, my brother died of a sudden heart attack. And of course, that was devastating for the family and for the company. And then I was given one year later this book uh, for my birthday, actually, um, Man in, uh, in Search of Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I didn't want to read it in the beginning, but that summer uh, I started to, to read it. And of course, it's the story of, uh, of Viktor uh, Frankl, who was a survivor of uh, different concentration camps and extermination camps, included Auschwitz. So he explains the psychological experience of somebody who is sent to these kind of camps. And he does it almost from a very uh, scientific way, his uh, uh, psychology. So he's taking a lot of space and a lot of distance, and he's just sort of analyzing almost in a forensic way the experience. And I was profoundly touched by it. And of course, um, because we were doing exhibitions, you know, the first reaction when you, I, I had heard, of course, about the Holocaust and about Auschwitz, but when you go into uh, a deep layer, there was this sort of moral um, imperative to to do something about it. And uh, that's a little bit the, the initial um, spark of the of the exhibition. And then, of course, it is a unique opportunity because it's an exhibition co-produced for the first time, very likely for the last time with the Outer European State Museum. So we display more than 700 original artifacts. Most of them come from their archives. First time in history that a large collection goes out of the memorial um, and and they bring this authenticity and you know it, it's absolutely um, I cannot really find the words to describe what these artifacts tell us because the most important thing actually is not what we see in the artifacts but what we know what we can learn uh, about those artifacts and um, and that is what we try to do. We try to explain the story of Auschwitz both as a as a site, as a as a location, physical location, what happened in that particular place, and the process of extermination, and um, what was 
you know, the, the existence of the CAM. But of course, we also explore it from a more philosophical way. Um, how was it possible to happen? And uh, we explore the road to Auschwitz. We don't get really into the camp itself until almost halfway through the exhibition. And we, we, we explain how in a society which was the most technologically, so uh, culturally advanced of its time, such a genocide, which is a cultural thing, could could uh, could happen. Um, uh, so we explore human barbarism, of course, and um, and and all of that together is what I think makes the exhibition a a unique opportunity and also a, a yeah a chance for us to understand how Auschwitz could come to existence. Well, I want to talk about that, Luis. It, uh, Auschwitz, not long ago, not far away, this exhibition, which is debuting in Boston, we want to hear about how people can find out about it, but I want to go back to the fact that it is, what I've read about it, it's a, called an immersive view of the history, and you mentioned these 700 uh, artifacts, um, and, and I, I guess I want to hear about what's the nature of those artifacts, and what do you mean by an immersive view of the history of Auschwitz? But to be completely honest, I don't think we we use the term immersive. Uh, it might, of course, appear in some reviews or, or some other people, but we don't internally use that term in our website or, or especially when we speak about the exhibition, because let's be very, very clear about this. Nothing of what we can do in the exhibition can get to nothing even nearer near to what those that were in the camp had to experience. So we are not trying to replicate any experience. We're not trying to make people feel what those who were in Auschwitz could um, uh, suffer because that is simply impossible. You know, so, so we don't pretend to do that. If, and I don't really think we use the word immersive, but it is actually uh, what I would really love the exhibition to achieve is for people to understand how societies can turn into into genocide and in, embrace genocide and to learn the red flags uh, so that when wind changes as the, the song goes we are ready to also stand up for what is what is right and also let's you know the exhibition not not the exhibition but Auschwitz the fact that Auschwitz happened I will now quote Primo Levi, well-known survivor, because probably there's no better words to say. And he he said, Auschwitz happened, and therefore it can happen again. And that is the core of what we have to say. Whatever the exhibition, the exhibition explained from an intellectual point of view, how it was possible. We tried to explain how it was possible. Um, but I think probably the core message is with the testimonies that we have from survivors. And they clearly tell us, uh, like, like I said, Primo Levi or Hannah Arendt, a different kind of survivor. But she said, one, once you introduce in the world, in the world of things that exist, a word, an event, uh, a deed, the possibilities of it of it repeating itself grow exponentially. And and that is uh, so. Put it in a different way, we don't have an excuse. We cannot blame ignorance because this happened not long ago and not very far away, metaphorically speaking, from our generation, right? So uh, we cannot, we can just not say that we didn't know. We do know where certain ideologies of hatred can take us to. We know where they lead to and therefore um, 
we can, you know, we don't have any, we don't have that alibi. And the exhibition is also a testimony to, to that. Uh, Luis Ferrero, I know firsthand how important it is to see original artifacts. I, I come from a lot, my great grandfather, who of course I never met, he was killed in a gas chamber. Um, I, when I went to Vienna, I looked at the a museum, there was an exhibition of Kristallnacht, and I was able to see mm -hmm. the shoes and the actual artifacts from that. And even though I thought I understood, it brings you to a different level. When I'm reading about Auschwitz, not long ago, not far away, things like gas masks or children's dolls or prisoners' clothing, mm -hmm. um, and as you said, you know, suitcases and the like, these artifacts bring us to a point where we realize, oh, these were real people with real lives, and, um, and their possessions are all that survived of the 1.1 million people who were exterminated. I mean, I, I, you used that word earlier. It's a, it's a chilling word. When, how is it that you talk to these people who are survivors and, well, why don't you tell us about what they say and how they reflect on an unthinkable past? Well, I have been lucky enough, I have to say also, and well, I'm very sorry to hear about uh, about your your story and and, and your relative, but um, but certainly I had the the chance, basically because we work with the museum and we work with uh, I yeah maybe some people would say I'm not uh, the right person to say, but I believe uh, our historians and curators are probably one of the best teams in this subject matter, and they were able, of course, to to bring this incredible knowledge and to give us access to. Uh, some of the survivors that are still with us and uh, we were able to explain the project and to share the narrative and to um, in many ways uh, consult with them about uh, about the general concept of the of the exhibition and I have to say that I have only found uh, support and encouraging words from them I I felt always when I am with them that uh, they have these, especially as the years go by, they have this necessity to tell. And uh, they somehow see the exhibition in a way as, a, as a, an extension of this work, of spreading the word of what happened, of telling what happened, of making people aware. And of course, you can do this by books, by lectures, by um, you know movies, by so many things, and museums, and... Um, and that has been the general um, message I have uh, I have from them that basically this is an important exhibition, uh, this is an important message, and uh, the, there is this need to spread the the word. And uh, it's very special, you know. I, I I always feel honestly very stupid when I have to tour a survivor through the exhibition because. How can I tell anybody that has been in that particular situation as a survivor the story of Auschwitz? Uh, and um, but they always they always come, they always listen, and they understand that of course their experience, their knowledge is 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 a real one. We work with historians, with uh, educational experts that need to get all of that uh, experience and put it together in a, in 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 an exhibition narrative, in educational material. Um, and they have always been very very supportive, and that is also something. One of the 
most important things for me in the entire project was to be able to uh, to share moments with the survivors. Uh, it's really uh, unique. I would like to know whether you think that this exhibit resonates today as much or more or less than it would have five or 10 or 20 years ago. And I ask this in particular because this weekend I saw this just extraordinary play at the local Northampton Academy of Music called the uh, 2.5 Minute Ride. And it's a story told by one person, one actor playing numerous parts, telling a story that includes a visit to an amusement park with her elderly father, uh, a family wedding with all of its usual <laughs> intrigue, and mm -hmm. her visit with her father to where he had been, Auschwitz. It is mm. extremely powerful. Listeners who are hearing this, mm. do yourself a favor. Go get a ticket and go see the 2.5-minute ride at the Academy of Music this weekend. Um, but I looked at the audience. I said, by and large, an older audience whose families may have experienced or at least experienced World War II directly or indirectly. And I'm wondering whether you think Auschwitz as a paradigm of hatred and anti-Semitism and racism and fascism, whether it still holds that power. It's very interesting because, of course, when, when I read the book, the first thing was this need to create an exhibition. And of course, the second question I ask myself is, how come it has never been done before? Because I found it so obvious and so necessary that I could not really understand why it had not been done before. And I was, I, I felt, and, and this was a long story. I mean, the, the, the idea was when I read this book in 2008, summer of 2008 um, or nine, and the exhibition didn't open until 2017. So there, it was a long, long way and it was difficult and it was unclear whether it was going to be possible to do it or not. And I always felt this, this sense of urgency because it, I always felt like we need, we really need it now. I mean, we, we cannot wait to tell this story in, a, in an exhibition. But since 2017, uh, I have realized in many ways that this exhibition probably I feel is as necessary, as important. It would have been 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and, and today, or probably it will be important in 20 years. Of course, now we are in a situation where we see anti-Semitism in a rise in a, in, a, in, a complete, in a way that is devastating also for survivors to see how this is coming again. And, and we live in a very, very complex world. But um, I, I don't, what I think is that nowadays is as important. I don't think there will be any time that is more important than 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 now. But I also think that it's probably as important as as always. Uh, I think if you want to understand fully the the human condition, you cannot leave the dark sides of of our own species aside. You have to face them, and um, to have that complete knowledge, you. You, you have to look into it. It's not possible to have a full understanding of our own society without facing the death camps of the Second World War and the, the Holocaust. We are talking to Luis Ferrero. He is the director of 
Musealia, which is a private company that has produced this rather extraordinary exhibition, Auschwitz, not long ago, not far away. Uh, it is you can you can find it at the Castle at Park Plaza from March fifteenth to September second. It's an extraordinary exhibition. We're going to continue our conversation with Louise right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You can make the decision right now to get lasting relief from that awful joint pain for 2024. Don't go another year compromising because of that pain in your knees or shoulder. Call QC Kinetics now. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative non-surgical pain relief. Your body has what it needs to restore and repair that damaged joint tissue, and QC Kinetics can make it happen. No drugs, no surgery, and no downtime. The future of pain treatments has arrived, and QC Kinetics has tens of thousands of satisfied patients all over America. People with back pain, hip pain, any pain associated with arthritis or an injury. This is not a Band-Aid. This is a revolutionary treatment that can get you moving again. Get your life back. And listen, it's non-surgical. If this is the year you decide to fight back against that pain, take the first step now and call QC Kinetics for a free consultation today. Call 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. We have an inventory overload at Country Hyundai with over 300 vehicles that have to go. What's that mean for you? Savings of up to $16,000 on 2023 Ionics, 0% financing for up to 36 months on 2024 Tucsons, and leases starting at just $249 a month on 2024 Elantras. We have a car for everybody, so click CountryHyundai.com to buy online or just come see us on King Street in Northampton. Country Hyundai, you're going to love it here. See dealer for details or call 844-414-2927. Attorney Joe Cordell. Business owners and professionals face special challenges in divorce court. In addition to everything else going on, they have to contend with allegations that they are earning more than they are, coupled with claims on their business or practice itself. Clients with assets depend on their divorce lawyer skills in these matters, and that's why it's so important to hire someone that has those skills. Schedule an appointment with one of Cordell & Cordell's Boston-area attorneys, 10 Cabot Road, Suite 210, Medford, Massachusetts, 02155. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We are back continuing... Not only an interesting, fascinating conversation, but a really important conversation with executive producer Luis Ferrero of uh, of Auschwitz. Not long ago, not far away, it is debuting in Boston on March fifteenth to September second. It's going to run at the Castle at Park Plaza, and it sounds like um, a profoundly important experience for people to have to understand. Um, not just the dread of Auschwitz, but its contemporary application to what we're watching. So, Louise, many of us are struck right now by our astonishment at hearing people who are sort of drawn to fascism after we, of an older generation, uh, grew up disdaining everything about fascism. Why do you think this is relevant to today's society? Well, uh, I think it's very important because, well, 
everybody that goes into the exhibition goes with a backpack. So we all have our own experience. We all live in a society. I am from Spain, from Europe. The exhibition is going to be in Boston. Uh, it, it is touring the world. So we have been to Sweden. We have been to uh, we have been in Spain. Um, and I think that nowadays it's it's probably more relevant than than ever to understand how Auschwitz uh, could exist, and especially what does it mean for us today. And as I said before, I think that understanding how societies can turn and embrace genocide, <coughs> being genocide, a, um, <clears throat> a thing that is, you know, one of the problems we have with Holocaust education is that most people sometimes the that don't that have not been taught about this in particular, you know, they it's very easy to blame it to one particular man, to Hitler, or a small group of people, the the the, the Nazis. But the truth is, and this is shown in the exhibition that the genocide would have not been possible without the complicity, active or passive, from a, a vast majority of the European society. Um, so in that regard, understanding how that was possible, I think it's, um, it's, it's a very important thing for, for ourselves today in our own societies. Uh, as I said, um, nobody in, in 20, uh, 23, 10 years before Hitler came to power, if they would have been told that uh, this would, ha would happen and that there would exist death camps or extermination camps, uh, um, probably they, they, they would have laughed, right? So, um, you know, as I said before, Primo Levi, it happened, it can happen before, and it is important that we are aware how it happened I, I so think... that we can prevent it. Yeah, I think we all have to remember that, uh, well, you're of Spanish origin, Francisco Franco was not that long ago, I think it was in the 60s, and Salazar, Antonio Salazar, these were dictators, these were fascists in Portugal and Spain, who were, I think, Salazar was up in the late 70s, uh, late 60s, I think, Absolutely. or maybe early 70s. Yeah, the, the, correct, democracy in Spain is from some 78, I think, uh, so we are, uh, in that sense, of course, uh, a very young uh, democracy. Um, so, so yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, and even nowadays, there are uh, societies, there are countries which, in a different form of totalitarianism, have, um, you know, societies that are not ruled by the rule of law and where uh, freedom is. So we, we take by granted many things that we are able to um, to have, but that certainly if we look just back into history, literally just as you were saying, uh, they were not the most common thing. So I think it's also an opportunity to uh, to look into our democracies, to uh, to make them stronger and to uh, and to have mechanisms to detect when things are going the wrong way and to stand up for um, for things that uh, that are important. In the little time that we have left, uh, Luis Ferrero, could you tell us about these curators that uh, are international authorities on the history of Auschwitz and the history of the Holocaust? Um, who are they? Where do they come from? So, and it's a pleasure for me because uh, very quickly, but uh, we have our, uh, besides the team of historians and researchers from the African State Museum, we have an independent curatorial team, which is led by Robert Jan Van Pelt, who is uh, an incredible um, 
you know, uh, expert in, in the story of Auschwitz and of the Holocaust, we have Michael Gerenbaum, um, who has been involved in the most important Holocaust museums uh, around the world and continues to work with them uh, on, an, on a regular basis. We have Paul Sammons. Paul Sammons is one of the most important educational uh, experts in, in this particular field. Miriam um, Greenbaum and Mel Sinetti. So the entire team is people who have dedicated most of their uh, life to the study of the Holocaust and to uh, find the best ways to uh, teach them. So uh, it has been an absolute pleasure and privilege to work with them. And it's one of the um, yeah one of the best things also for me in this project is to have been able to share and to create together with uh, with such people. Well, in that regard, what I'd like to know is notwithstanding your knowledge and your deep understanding of the Holocaust and Auschwitz, which of course was many prison camps, not many death camps, not just one, is has putting this exhibit together, working with the experts you just told us about, your personal immersion in this horrifying history has it changed you in any way that you didn't expect? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the moments I remember the most was actually uh, reading a, a book of, uh, um, it was Prima Levi, and I was in, in my hometown in San Sebastian, and yeah, it was a chapter about the, the terrible conditions of cold. And I remember, and he was going on about not only the cold, but about this this situation where they, they didn't know what to expect. There was no, there was no law. One thing you did, one thing one day, and that you know that could mean that you had breath. You did the same thing the other day, it meant that you were dead and you were going to be shot. So there was, there, there was no way to to fully understand the nature of uh, of uh, you know of the law in the camp and and the attitude of the uh, SS who were guarding the, the the camp. So this notion of of uh, being, of life being unpredictable, of, of what to do, was so frightening. And I, I remember being in my bed and feeling so grateful to have a warm place, a warm bed, food in the fridge, and to wake up in a country where there is the law and you can, you know, you, you can abide by understanding the law and, and knowing what you can do and what you cannot do uh, and, and to have rights. Uh, and I, I, you know, I remember that, and every very often I remember that feeling of being warm in a bed. We don't know how lucky we are. There and, you go. Uh, that is, it's just so poignant. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. So it's so important that people understand that they can have a similar epiphany um, by going and seeing this exhibition. It's Auschwitz, not long ago, not far away. Where and when, and how do we get tickets? Yes, so I will urge everybody because sellouts are expected. Uh, Pre-sales are, are going very strong. Some days and slots are already out and, uh, and gone. So I would you know, suggest everybody, encourage them to plan their visit today, to go to the outreachexhibition.com. They can book tickets there. They can get practical info about the location and frequently asked questions. Also about schools, we have a lot, a lot of schools coming into the exhibition. It's going to be only for a short, very short period of time in Boston. I don't think we're going back to the East Coast. Uh, so it's also not only Boston, but anybody in the East Coast that want to see the exhibit. It's a unique opportunity. I encourage everybody to uh, 
to take this step of uh, of facing Auschwitz. It's going to open at March 15th. Uh, Luis Ferrero, thank you so much for joining us. It's such an important time to look at this exhibition. Thank you for putting it together. Thank your company for doing that. It is Auschwitz, not long ago, not far away, March 15th, December 2nd, Castle at Park Plaza. Make sure you go see this. We'll be right back with Megan's Inn. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Wilbraham police have identified the suspect who allegedly shot a police